Hey, good morning, church. Morning, morning, morning. How many of you love it that it's snowing outside? Handful of you. How many of you despise it, but you live here anyway? Good. <laughs> you can move. Um, you can always go to California where there's fires, so whatever you want. Uh, don't complain about it. Hey, uh, super glad that you're here worshiping with us. Uh, these next four weeks are going to be a little bit different. Uh, as Alex alluded to, we're really trying to lean into kind of the sacred, the, the Old Testament, um, bring back some of the orthodox uh, way of, of worship and thinking. And so that's what we're kind of focused on uh, this morning. I'm going to ask you uh, to stand because we are going to read Leviticus chapter 1. Actually, I'm going to read it, but I'd love for you to stand. Uh, and this is going to launch us into this morning. Here's what it says, starting in verse 1. The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle, and he said to him, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you present an animal as an offering to the Lord, you may take it from your herd of cattle or your flock of sheep and goats. If the animal you present is a, as a burnt offering is from the herd, it must be a male with no defects. First Peter talks about that. Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle, assuming you may be accepted by the Lord. Lay your hand on the animal's head, and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. Then slaughter the young bull in the Lord's presence, and Aaron uh, and Aaron's sons, the priests, will present the animal's blood by splattering it against all sides of the altar that stands at the entrance of the tabernacle. Then skin the animal and cut it into pieces. The son of Aaron, the priest, will build a wood fire on the altar. They will arrange the pieces of the offering, including the head and the fat, on the wood burning on the altar. But the internal organs and the legs must first be washed with water. Then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the flock, it may be either a sheep or a goat, but it must be a male with no defects. Slaughter the animal on the north side of the altar in the Lord's presence, and Aaron's sons, the priests, will splatter its blood against the altar. Then cut the animal into pieces, and the priests will arrange the pieces of the offering, including the head and the fat on the wood burning on the altar. But the internal organs and the legs must first be washed with water. Then the priests will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If you present a bird as an offering to the Lord, choose either a turtle dove, which Sandy likes to call me, or, or a young pigeon. The priest will take the bird to the altar, wring off its head, and burn it on the altar. But first he must drain its blood against the side of the altar. The priest must also remove the crop and the feathers and throw them into the ashes on the east side of the altar. Then grasping the bird by its wings, the priest will tear the bird open, but without tearing it apart. Then he will burn it as an offering on the wood burning on the altar. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we jump into, uh, on the surface, seems disgusting, uh, messy. Uh, there's hope and redemption and love and beauty in this. Bring it to life for us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Uh, thank you for, for being a part of this. Um, uh, 
what we're going to do is we're going to burn this incense uh, as as we go throughout the morning. It's just going to burn as we sit here. I know some of you probably burn incense at home. Um, but we're going to allow this sweet-smelling fragrance uh, to do what the Old Testament sacrifice talked about. Uh, and thankfully, for your sake, we don't have a goat here doing this. Um, so yeah, that's what we're going to do. For those of you in the front row, you might be able to smell it as we go throughout the morning. Uh, if you're in the back row and you want to come smell it afterwards, then you can do that as well. Does it just do this? Does it stay lit or does it just do that? Fair enough. I don't know what you like to smell. Any of you have particular things that smell good to you? Maybe not the person next to you. Don't tell them. You can just keep that to yourself. Here's a couple of things. We're going to play this interactive game. I want you to stand if you, all right? That's what we're calling it. I just made that up. Stand if you think this smells good. How many of you love the smell of gasoline? Listen, this is not going to work if you're embarrassed about what you like, all right? God knows your heart. All right. So like five of you love the smell of gasoline. Some of you are lying. Okay, how many of you love the smell of nail polish? Guy and Bonnie, that's two for two. How many of you love the smell of campfire? Yeah, you're like, man, let my clothing smell like it, right? You get in bed, man, that really is working. Holy cow, sorry if you're allergic to incense. How many of you love the smell of a brand new book? Brand new book. Hunter, Brittany, what's up? Brand new book. Yeah, a bunch of us bookworms. We, uh, you know, I'll get a new book, and before I start reading it, I do this. Don't judge. <laughs> Tennis balls. Something wrong with this. You two want, might want to move over here. Tennis balls? No one over here? Rain. You love the smell of rain. Not the sound, the smell. Not to be confused with the smell of pending snow. All right, go ahead, sit down. New car. Brand new car. Some of you will never know what that's like. That's why they make air fresheners for people like us. Pine saw. Any of us? I'd be standing for this one, pine saw, like, I love me some pine saw. Yeah. All right, have a seat. You know what's interesting is there's different things in our lives that just smell good. How many of you ever been to Krispy Kreme donuts? You walk into Krispy Kreme and you're like, I'm getting fatter by the whiff, right? Or you go to In-N-Out in California, hopefully eventually they get their act together and get it here in Colorado. Uh, you go to Giordano's Pizza, you smell pizza cooking. Uh, you go back to mom's house or grandma's house and you walk in on Thanksgiving and you can smell the turkey and the mashed potatoes and all the goodness. Our senses are, are interesting because for a lot of us, what smells good to you might smell putrid to somebody else, right? Uh, and, and you can't get enough of it when you have a particular smell. Maybe it's a, a perfume, maybe it's a cologne, maybe it's a deodorant that you're like, ah, oh, this just reminds me of this person. It just smells so good. Well, Leviticus chapter one is the Olah. Uh, can you say that? Olah. 
Yeah, that's the burnt offering, so now you know it. Uh, it's the Olah burnt offering, and, and what we just described, these bulls and sheep and, and birds being ripped apart and, and all their body parts and burnt, it smells great to God. How? Because it must have been an incredible mess. It must have been something that was bloody and, and, and took a ton of time. And, and, and so why is that? And we're going to be looking at all five sacrifices in this series. But I want you to notice the language that God gives to Moses. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Leviticus chapter 1. Uh, we continue to push at Rock Creek Church. Bring your Bibles, bring your Bibles, bring your Bibles. Uh, it's great if you want to bring your uh, electronic version, but we really want to encourage the written form so you can underline, circle, highlight, take notes, etc. Um, but nevertheless, uh, open a Bible. There also is several Bibles in the seats in front of you. As you look down, you might notice some brand new clean carpet uh, in this room and throughout the whole church. The carpets were clean this week, uh, and so we're really thankful for that. But this is the language that God gives to Moses. When any man of you brings a sacrifice. In other words, there's no command that you have to bring a sacrifice. Okay, we're going to unpack this in the coming weeks. If a man, when a man brings a sacrifice, there's no command at what time the sacrifice needs to be brought. We start church at 9.15 for prayer. We start the service at 10. We have kind of a regimented thing. This wasn't. It was a, it was a voluntary sacrifice. It was very, very personal to the individual, what we tend to think is, well, the Old Testament is so foreign, so old, so uh, formal that uh, everybody just had to go through regulations. And, and what we see in the sacrifices is there was actually a lot of room to manipulate and move around throughout the sacrificial system. It's not something that they had to do with the rest of the Israelites uh, at the exact same time. They do it when they feel like they needed to do it. Now, you may be interested to know that the very first word in the book of Leviticus is actually the word and. It's properly translated in, in your Bibles probably uh, as then or the so that we can understand it and read it a little bit better. But it connects directly with the previous book, which is the book of Exodus, very, very good. We're going to need some more interaction here, more than just Miranda, okay? So the previous book before Leviticus is Exodus. So flip one page to the left. One page, and if you allow your Bibles to look at this, Exodus chapter 40, we see the filling of the tabernacle. Here's exactly what it says from the New Living Translation. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it was lifted. Verse 38, the cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night the fire glowed inside and the cloud, so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all of their journeys. This is the Shekinah, the manifest glory of the presence of God. You see, it took a lot of work to get to where God was. If you wanted interaction with God, if you wanted fellowship with God, it took a lot of work. It's something we can't relate to today because we close our eyes and we're in God's presence. We say something, he hears our voice. And back then, the Shekinah, the manifest glory, the presence of God dwelling in the midst 
of Israel in this very focal place. And it was awe-inspiring. And it was right smack dab in the middle of the people. And so Leviticus, you see, is, is tacked on to this Shekinah. It's tacked on to the end of Exodus, this beautiful experience with God in the midst of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle instructions are given first, including the instructions of all of the sacrifices. They're laid out very, very clearly. And so when we look at Leviticus over these next four weeks, we're going to see something of continuity between Exodus and Leviticus. I know, uh, statistically speaking, many people haven't spent a whole lot of time unpacking and studying the Old Testament. And so what we're trying to do is shed some light on why is Jesus, why is Christmas, why is Easter, why is the New Testament, why is the New Covenant so unbelievable? And, and in order to grasp that, we've got to look and understand the Old Testament. In other words, we've got to lean into the sacred We've got to lean into uh, what came before us that sets up Jesus to be the pinnacle. So before we jump into the details of things, I want to give you three overarching facts behind the sacrifices, and then we'll jump into the Olah, the burnt sacrifice. To begin with, the ceremonial system of sacrifice was to serve as a means to aid the believer's fellowship with God. This was one of the fundamental reasons why there even was a sacrificial system, is God decided, here's how I'm going to interact with my people. I could do it any way I want, and you might not even agree with it, but here's how I am going to choose to interact with my people. And you will have noticed three times in the passage, passage that we read that God was pleased with the soothing aroma of the sacrifice. If you're up here, you're in the front row. This is, this is in my opinion, this is a, a somewhat pleasing aroma. It doesn't smell awful. It smells good. And for God, this was a soothing aroma of the sacrifice and that the believer was found acceptable before him. You say, well, that's not fair that they had to like kill things and do things. Fair enough. Two weeks we talked about that God is God and therefore he has the right to administer justice and, and run things the way he wants to for him. Cutting up the animal, sacrificing it, a male of no defect was the number, way, number one way to draw near is to experience the Lord. The tabernacle was the visible manifestation of God. It was a way for people to, to see God at work, to see and experience him right in the middle of where they were. And the sacrificial system was the number one way that they could experience God's presence. It's similar to where if, if you show up here on a Sunday morning, Alex and the team lead us in worship, we have communion, we enjoy each other, we have a cup of coffee, and we're in God's presence, and it just feels good. For the tabernacle, that was the means. And so by doing sacrifices, you draw near to the tabernacle, which is outside of the Holy of Holies, which is the focal point of God's presence in Israel. And so the system is designed not for work or punishment. 
not to point a finger at you, not to lay down an edict on your failures, but it was actually the number one way to draw you close. Next, the sacrificial system provided a means to give thanksgiving or a gift before God. It was, it was a way where, where you could show up and say, God, I love you, your gift that I owe you because you've rescued us uh, from captivity, you've done all these things, is I'm going to offer this sacrifice as my number one gift to you. And we're going to see that in one of these sacrifices, it's especially designed to express a thankful heart. Uh, one of the truths about the Old Testament and the New Testament is that uh, a thankful heart creates a contented heart. And so it's really God's act uh, of mercy and love to provide a sacrificial system set in place so that you, if you were alive back then, could feel contentment. And not just a thankful heart when things are good, but a thankful heart when things are bad. Uh, a thankful heart when you're hungry. A uh, thankful heart when you're struggling. A thankful heart for when you're going through life. That was the intent of the sacrificial system. And finally, before we get into it, and arguably the most fundamental function of the sacrifice, the ceremonial system, is to be a means of expressing our need for atonement and forgiveness. You see, you and I, if we believe sin for what it is, we have the cross. We have the cross who says, I've accomplished everything on this wood beam through my life being sacrificed, and all you need to do is come to me and say, I'm sorry. And you are made right. For the Israelites, and we'll see this in the coming weeks, it was a lot of work. It took a lot of effort. It cost a lot of money to receive atonement, to receive forgiveness. The risks were Im immeasurable. And so there's a, a, a similarity, but such a contrast in the way we are able to live life in terms of forgiveness and and what they saw it to be. It was God's program for dealing with sin, and, and, and we don't have to. Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats can no longer forgive sin. It's only through Jesus himself, and it's his plan. It's his system. It's, it's him. And so the prime, there's a primary principle, and I want you to write this down. If you're taking notes, you can just throw it on the very top of Leviticus on that little section as it says the name of the book. The primary principle in the book of Leviticus and really woven throughout all of the scriptures is this. We meet with God. We draw near to God. We engage with God on the terms that he proposes, not us. Say, well, I want to meet with God on the ninth hole of the golf course. Sorry, if God says, meet me here, you meet him there. And again, in, in, a, in an age where everyone does what's right in their own eyes, which not to get too far into either politics or even apologetics, uh, a society can't operate that way. It's not possible for everyone to just do whatever they want if they think it's right. We see a, a prescription of that in the scriptures. Everything goes 
badly. But the primary theme throughout the book and throughout the Bible is we meet on the terms that God proposes, not us. We don't come in any, in any old way. We don't come in something we read in a book. We don't come in any way that we choose. We come on the basis of the terms that he has provided and through the means that he makes possible. The Bible says this, come to me and I will receive you. It, it, the Bible says if you come with this burnt offering, with this atoning sacrifice, which is to be lifted up to me, I will receive you. In fact, the Olah, the, the burnt offering, is to be lifting up, is to be received upward. It doesn't mean burn in the sense of how some of you like your s'mores. It, it's burn in the sense that this creates an aroma that is incredible before God. But there's another thing that we receive from this great passage, and that's that the Lord accepts and communes those who go about it the way he designs it. That hasn't changed. We don't have a whole flood of birds and goats outside waiting for you after the service. But drawing close to God the way he proposes has not changed. Let's look back at some of these verses. Verses three through nine. Notice a few things in this passage. It'll be up on the screen. First of all, this burnt offering coming from the Hebrew Olah is referring to burning the smoke going up. And this is usually given twice a day. Now, I read the instructions. I don't know any of you, but as I read it and read it and read it this week, I just kept thinking, that is a lot of work. Twice a day, morning and evening coming before God with your best, sacrificing, cleaning it up, only to return several hours later, day after day after day after day after day, to hear the words, you are good. A little bit different than us today. Now let me say a little something about this particular sacrifice. This is the only one of the five great sacrifices that's wholly given before the Lord. Everything. The entire sacrifice given to God. The other sacrifices have some parts that are held back. They have other people that are involved, but this is the only one that's completely and wholly before God. And we're going to see exactly why because it's completely consumed before God. Every part, every piece, nothing left over is consumed by the living God and it's clear that this sacrifice indicates that no one can just approach God. No one can just waltz right into God's presence. There's work that has to be done. And yet there's a pleasing aroma Listen to the language in verses three through four. If the animal you present as a burnt offering from the herd, it must be a male with absolutely no defects. 
Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so that you may be accepted by the Lord. Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death in place to purify you, making you right with him. Now, there, here's where it gets pretty fun. There are two integral parts to a sacrifice of an animal. Do you know what they are? Sam. Blood, good. What else? Burnt, okay, that's not a part. Uh, there's blood, and where did the blood come from? Body, good. All right, wonderful. Blood and body. Sound familiar? We're going to take communion later today. We recognize the body. We recognize the blood. This is part of every system. Every sacrifice that's done, someone has to pay. There must be a body sacrificed. There must be blood shed to be made right with God. Why? Because he said so. The body and the blood. And so now hear Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. Says, this is my body, which is given for you. This is my blood of the brand new covenant, which is poured out for you. Jesus is speaking of himself and his death in terms of the two integral parts of the Old Testament Levitical system. Sacrifice of the Allah. The burnt offering. Jesus is explaining his death and the significance of it to his disciples. In terms of which are unmistakable. He is saying, listen. We lay our hands on a sacrifice. We go through all this work to, to find the best and to put our hands and there's a transfer of your guilt to the animal and the animal is sacrificed in your place. And when we do so, we own that animal as our own property and that animal symbolizes us. It symbolizes our substitute and that we ourselves are symbolically forgiven through that animal. And then Jesus says, I am that sacrifice. Now imagine if you were one of the disciples sitting there. They know the sacrificial system. They know the ceremonial system. They know all the work that goes into it. Think about the fact that you have to bring your best twice a day. How many people would have the best left over at some point? They just keep getting knocked off left and right. And then Jesus says, I am that sacrifice. Remember the words of Paul in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Render yourself as a living sacrifice acceptable to God. Paul is drawing on this very language right out of the book of Leviticus. And the Old Testament covenant sacrificial system is to make your heart right. Now, the procedure for the Olah allowed flexibility. Sometimes we can think of God as, as rigid. You heard me refer uh, two weeks ago when I was growing up. I kind of viewed God as like the grumpy old man in your neighborhood who's just yelling at kids to get off your lawn. 
that's the way I kind of viewed God as the, of the Old Testament growing up because I just saw rule after rule after rule and, and discipline and death and people being sacrificed. I'm like, my gosh, this God is grumpy. And that was kind of my view. But we actually see, even in the Old Testament, flexibility on what God says, hey, I want you to be right, but I'm not rigid. There's a lot of looseness here. The options reflect this, and specifically, an economic flexibility for the worshiper. If someone couldn't afford a bull, then a goat or a sheep would do. I don't know how much you know about meat. A bull is expensive. It's still expensive. A goat, a sheep, they're expensive, but they're nowhere near what a bull was. And so if that's all you could afford, then, then bring that. And if that was too much, then you could just bring in a bird, a turtle dove, which were a dime, or a dime a dozen. You could just bring in a bird if that's all you could afford. But the emphasis was, you need to bring your best. You need to bring your heart in a right place. And if your heart isn't in the right place, what would happen is they would go through this sacrificial system. They would finish it all. And if the heart wasn't right, they weren't forgiven because they did it with the wrong heart. And you do it again. You guys ever have your kids do a chore for you? And you're like, again, either they did it terribly or they had a bad attitude during it vacuuming washing the car mowing the lawn um naomi has incredible penmanship now and i kind of abused her as a kid because whenever she would do her homework if it wasn't neat i'd erase the whole page and make her write it again i've since learned <laughs> now i delete it all i don't erase it i just delete it all I'm just kidding. Um, but if your heart wasn't right, you had to do it over again. How many of you have the right heart every time you come into this room? I don't. Something's either going on with the kids or with Sandy or sound issues and I immediately don't have the right heart. And I am so glad I don't have to do it over again. You know, we talk about this idea that everybody who walks through these doors, regardless of what you believe in uh, or don't believe about God, you're welcome here. And that's not us just uh, giving lip service. That's not us saying that that's something that, well, a church should obviously say that. No, no, no. We believe that wholly because we're not part of that Old Testament sacrificial ceremonial system. The cross accomplished something much beyond what was available to them. And now it's available to you. It's available to your neighbors. It's available to your friends. I don't care if, if you walk around with a middle finger up to God. God does not walk away from you. His love for you in the midst of your wrestling is beyond your wildest imagination. His ability to accept you for who you are is something you can't imagine. In fact, we, the church, we judge we say you've got to look like this. You've got to take your hat off. You've got to wipe your feet. You've got to act the part. You're in church. 
God doesn't say a word of that. We impose that. And that's different. It's different from what the Old Testament was. You see, worship of God in the Old Testament, people had to be in his presence. There was a lot of travel involved. There was a lot of finances involved. Sacrifices were exhausting. It was a bloody, smelly mess. Imagine a butcher shop, not clean. If you've ever killed a deer or a moose, if you're Mark, and you skin it, Chase has, Alex has, it does not smell like incense. It does not smell like pine saw or tennis balls or a new car. It smells awful. And God took something that is presumably awful smelling to mankind and says, the world might reject it, but I receive it, and it is a pleasing aroma. This was the Olah sacrifice, offered twice daily as part of the ritual in the sanctuary. Atonement, being made right, forgiveness in God's eyes. But there was a moment the moment of Jesus' death. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, much like the animals split apart from top to bottom. And the curtain that separated the holy place from the peasants in faith was gone forever. The ceremonial, sacrificial system, gone forever. A new covenant, a new way of enjoying God's presence, a new way of giving him a gift, which is you. A, a new way of receiving atonement and forgiveness and enjoying his presence. A brand new way. No longer was and no longer is there division between the secular and the sacred. There's nothing special about this room other than God's here. Nothing special about 225 Majestic View Drive. It's not a temple. It's not a tabernacle. We take care of it. We're blessed for it. But there's nothing holy and special about this. Why? Because God says now, where's the new temple? It's in you. Which means you're special. Which means you're holy. Which means you have power so that Christ could live in and through you. There's no difference now between the profane and the holy. God is in the midst of both holy. And now when we sing our praises to God and we ask for forgiveness, it's like the bloody sacrifice. It's a sweet smelling aroma before God. And it's good. The burnt offering. <laughs> this offering that somehow makes things right. But it must be a male without defect. It must be a perfect living creature crushed for our iniquities. It must be something that's absolute perfection with the right heart so that there can be forgiveness of sin. Once and for all. 
and we see Jesus. We see Jesus that accomplishes that, that accomplished that for you. Whether you want it or not, it's accomplished for you. Some people say, well, why didn't God uh, set up a way where everybody could be saved? He did. Jesus died for everybody. He accomplished the greatest act known that our world has ever known. And when we say yes to that, when we embrace that, there's something holy and sacred and special. It's not an animal laying on the altar, but it's us. And this morning, we have an incredible opportunity to to celebrate that uh, in parallel to this series. And so I'm going to invite up sweet Annika Fedor and Miranda. Would you give Annika a round of applause? We're baptizing today. Yeah, amen. The water is, it's not hot. Okay. <laughs> it's also not frozen over. Good. So it's somewhere in between there. And after the service, you see Mimi back there? Go give her lots of hugs because she orchestrated several pots of boiling water. Um, so I'm gonna turn it over to Miranda. And um, high five girl, super excited for you. What a privilege. Um, Annika, you have decided to make your faith your own. And I would love if you could share some of that journey with us. So I was baptized as a baby and I grew up in church at Rock Creek. But recently, um, I'd say in the past six months, maybe a year, my relationship with God has just changed so much and has become so much more personal and he has been working so much in my life lately. So he's just been calling me to be baptized again and as my own decision, just I'm his daughter and my sin is dead with him. Hmm. Amen, thanks for sharing that, Annika. Well, it is such a privilege. Um, I think about all that we had to go through in the Old Testament and what it looks like now to um, really receive Jesus as your own. And it's just amazing to see that you're going through that and you're experiencing that. And so let's, let's do this. All right. You can scream. Okay. <laughs> Let me set some towels up here real quick. That way she can jump out. This is Miranda's first time baptizing somebody. So I told Miranda, don't, this isn't like, how long can you hold your breath, right? I do that with the boys, but not for baptism.
All right. Very, very, very cool. Uh, worship team's going to come up here, uh, and we're going to continue uh, in a time of worship and celebration. Uh, what you just saw here might seem normal, might seem every day it's anything but. Uh, there's a party going on in heaven for yet someone else who is being baptized. We're going to try and do baptisms uh, every Sunday during this series. And so if you have never been baptized or your kids uh, have a relationship with Jesus and you want them to be baptized, come and let uh, myself and Alex or Miranda now, we'll, we'll get them um, baptized. Um, but a huge celebration is very, very, very cool. Would you stand with me? Um, we're going to go into this time of worship, and uh, as the team leads us over these next two songs, you can just go take communion at your leisure whenever you're ready. You don't have to do row by row, just whenever you're ready. You can go on the sides of the, um, of the room and then back uh, up to the middle. And what, do we, what, what is represented in the Lord's table? Two things. The blood and the body. The sacrifice. And so when we come, we don't just remember the sacrifice that Jesus uh, gave for us on the cross, his body and his blood. We go and we also remember the body and the blood that was done for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to be made right. And you are made right at the cross through the body and the blood. It's a miraculous thing. It's something that changes us forever. It causes us to go. Again, if you're a, an adult, male or female or high school student, this Juarez meeting that we're having in a few minutes, come and just listen. Give it a chance. Why? Because you've been set free. And now it's not the sacrifice that's a sweet smelling aroma before God, it's your heart. It's you. You are a sweet-smelling sacrifice before God, a pleasing aroma. And yes, all of your junk, all of your sin, all of your mistakes, all of your failures, all of your lies, all of your impurity, it's still a sweet-smelling aroma before God. Because you have Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you are right with God. These Old Testament sacrifices are powerful. And we're not in any way going back. But we do need to understand. Because it makes what we do on a daily basis that much more powerful. So as we worship, close your eyes, sing, kneel, sit down, stand in the back, approach the tables, the body and the blood. <laughs> 